Rolling. Renegades. Andre and I had this big idea. Why isn't this a CE? CE by podcast. Mind blowing. People don't even know people like her exist. Renegades. I had to have the people who didn't believe in me. Between one day and the next, everything changed. Somebody found you. Thank God they found you. Shining a light on those people. And by the way, you're going to be inspired. You can't contain this, Sybil. You can't contain it. Nurses know how to solve shit. Nailed it. Renegades. Welcome to the RNEgate podcast, a revolutionary approach to continuing education for nurses by nurses who are shining a light on the innovators, the creatives, the renegades, who are blowing up the boxes that the rest of the world is still trying to think outside of. On today's podcast, we have Dr. Chris Racinos. Dr. Chris Racinos is a nurse executive, entrepreneur, podcaster, and speaker. She's a CEO and founder of Nurse Leader Network and Takedis, an educational platform for nurses. She is also the creator of Health App for Teens, Hello Harmony. Her former roles include Chief Nurse Executive for Kaiser Permanente South Bay Medical Center, Deputy Nurse Executive for the Veterans Administration, and a variety of academic nurse practitioner and registered nurse roles. In her spare time, she can be found advocating for suicide prevention policies. Chris Racinos is a different kind of leader and one who makes you think twice about what your definition of success is. Enjoy. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm so glad that we finally made a connection. I know. The first thing I want to ask somebody is, why do you do what you do? Like what made everything different from one day to the next? And now what you do has come from that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, can can you jump right into the deep end of the pool or you want to? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I usually start off like at my, during my childhood, cause that, that the daughter who passed away, I actually got pregnant with her when I was 14. Um, and so I kind of share from that cause she's really like what got me started into nursing. And then, um, it's a really cool story, I think. Yeah. And then, so, um, so yeah, we want to hear it. Like go. <laughs> My name's Chris, and um, just a little bit about why I do what I do where I'm at. I um, started off my life in foster care in Los Angeles County um, and um, ended up becoming a teen mom at 14 years old. And I remember really distinctly the moment that I decided to go into nursing, and it was when I was in labor um, as a teen and experiencing the worst pain of my life. And at that point in the 90s, uh, they would take you the group home would drop you off at the hospital and say, sayonara, like, we're going to see you when you're discharged. Right. And so there was nobody there with me. It was like literally me and my nurse. And my nurse was just like really kind and compassionate and talked to me in a way that I could understand. And then when I was discharged, I had a nurse that would help with the baby. And okay. At this point, like I still kind of was playing with Barbie dolls. Right. And so like, I'm transitioning from this person who plays with Barbie dolls and, you know, I was obviously playing with other things too, um, to, you know, uh, to trying to like bathe this live human being and take care of this baby. And so again, I had this nurse who really, you know, like 
was kind of like a mother figure where she showed me how to bathe this baby, showed me how to dress her, like showed me how to do all the things that I didn't know how to do. I was like, what do I do with this like slippery little thing? And, um, you know, I, I realized after kind of growing up a little bit that, that that really was where I wanted to go. I wanted to help people out the way that my nurse had helped me out. And so um, come kind of full circle, I just, you know, I went into nursing and, you know, everything was like going great. I was like, I'm not going to be in the foster care system. I'm not going to, my daughter will never end up in the foster care system. And so I worked really hard and went on and got my master's and my bachelor's and my PhD and, you know, was doing all of these cool things and ended up becoming the chief nurse executive at Kaiser here in California and thought like my world was perfect, right? I just had everything like perfect. And I remember I was in this one meeting and um, I was giving, it was like literally like my second week of work or something there. And I was giving it away, uh, an award for this team that I had. And as I'm going to give this award away, um, you know, there's this one nurse and that's like looking at me and I'm like, oh my gosh, I know her. Like, I, I, you must've worked together in the emergency room. Like we worked together somewhere. Where was it? And I was sitting there looking at her and she's looking at me and then I'm distracted, right? Like I'm trying to speak, but at the same time I'm trying to remember where I know her from. And then she like, her eyes water up. And I'm like, oh my God, I know her. Where is it from? And then literally like gut punch, it hit me. She was that nurse. She was the nurse that had taught me how to do everything for my child. Had anything. And she and I just both started bawling. Everybody's looking at us like, what is wrong with you two? And we were just like so excited and so happy. And I told her and she didn't know. And I told her, I'm here. I'm a nurse because of you. And so it was really full circle where I got to become her chief nurse executive. She was my staff. And, um, you know, she had no clue. She's like, I had no clue. I didn't know. Oh my gosh. She's like, what did I do? She even told me, she's like, what did I do? And I was like, you did your job. Like literally that's all you did. So that's kind of where, what got me to that point. So it really was, you know, becoming a team mom, having this cool mentor that didn't even know she was a mentor and then making sure that I did everything possible to not end up having my children put in foster care. And so, I'm going along thinking like my life is, you know, fantastic. It's great. At that point, you know, the daughter that I had was um, a pre-med student at UCLA. She was 19 years old and, you know, life was perfect. And um, I remember, you know, I was getting ready to go and meet with a bunch of folks at work and I get up one day and she usually left before me. She was a commuter. We live in LA and um, her car was outside. And I was like, why is she still here? Like she's sleeping. I know it. She had a late night. She was sleeping. So I walk up and I, you know, go to knock on her door. Her door is closed. And as I walk up, there's this little like post-it note, like literally a post-it note just laying on the floor. And so I like, I'm like, what the and, you know, I, I lean down and I pick up the post-it note and it says, don't let the kids see. I love you. Harmony. My daughter's name was Harmony. And I was like, what the hell is this? And so I immediately went, opened her door, which was abnormal. She always had her door locked and opened the door and I found her lifeless in her bed. And so I immediately went and did like the best CPR that I think I've ever done in my life. And unfortunately I was not able to save my daughter. She had taken her own life. And so, um, you know, my life really at that point, like collapsed. I was pregnant. I was four months pregnant with my youngest daughter and didn't want to live. I literally had created my own suicide plan. I was like, okay, I'm going to follow my daughter. And then right when I was getting ready to do it, I couldn't because I didn't want to kill a baby that I was pregnant with. And, um, I think, you know, I look back and now I, I, I realize how much the baby I was pregnant with was a blessing. Like she has saved my life the same way that my first doctor saved my life. Um, and so I, I really took a step back and, and, you know, as I was progressing and getting ready to have her funeral, 
I uh, was trying to write, you know, something around like all of the memories that we had. And I realized I didn't have any. I didn't have the memories of the PTA. I didn't have memories of um, taking her to school to going to um, doctor's appointments. My husband had those memories. I didn't have them because I was too busy getting a PhD and working. And so, you know, I said, okay, like, how can I not screw this up again? Like, how can I, I have five kids. How can I really do things differently? Right. And I realized that as nurses, we self-sacrifice so much and we don't realize it until something of, of that level happens. And it happens to everybody, right? The only guarantee we have in life is death. So it might not be a child that dies, but you're going to have a parent that dies or a family member or a friend or, or something. And you're going to look back and say, was what I sacrificed really worth it? Right. Was all those hours that I put in to work worth it? They weren't. Um, because same for me, same for you. If you die tomorrow, your job will have your job posting up, you know, the next week. But your family cannot replace you. There's no replacement. There's no job posting for mom. There's no job posting for sister, brother, best friend. There's no job posting for those things. And so it's it's really important for us to think about as nurses what we are sacrificing inadvertently every day knowing that when we say yes to something like working long hours, getting that degree right this minute, um, all of these different things for our work, we are saying no to everything else in our life. And so, you know, it kind of changed my path. And I decided, you know, I was in the middle of a pandemic working like 80 hours a week and my son was struggling, right? He was there when my daughter um, killed herself and he's 10 years old. And I said, okay, I can't do this anymore. Like enough is enough. And that's when I decided to leave my job as a nurse executive and move into entrepreneurship. And, um, you know, I did it on a whim. People were like, how are you going to you know, survive? And I said, I'm a foster kid. I'm a survivor. Like I have lived in cars. I have drinking ketchup as tomato soup. Like I have been, I've hustled and I will hustle again if I need to. I have no problem with that, but I need to be there for my kids. And so, you know, that's kind of brought me to where I am now. And you had a, you um, had a PhD in life long before <laughs> yeah. you ever went to school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was just, you know, I, I mean, it, it was what led me to here and now I'm, working on this um, suicide prevention app for teens. It's called Hello Harmony. Um, and then I have this business. Called Can you say that again? What's it's it called? Hello Harmony. So my daughter's name is Harmony. And mm. so I named it Hello Harmony. And we're working right now with builders who are going to be building it. And it's going to be like a text bot type of thing where um, you can create a friend and then you'll have a digital friend that you can talk to. And we're using artificial intelligence. So it's going to mimic the age of whoever is the user. Um, and, you know, our hope is that if we identify that there's somebody at risk, that we can immediately get them help um, to intervene. So that's what we're working on. We're hoping that we can get it into beta around December of this year. And we'll see. Amazing. But that's that's kind of this, you know, and I didn't plan any of this. I literally planned on just keeping my kids out of foster care. Like that was my goal. Now, did the did the inspiration for Hello Harmony come from you looking on the time before Harmony took her life? And I'm, maybe that was something I missed or. Yeah, yeah. So I did, I skimmed over it. Um, so it's another story, but I, um, I, when she died, I, I, I immediately started doing what most survivors of um, suicide do, which is get involved. And so, you know, I started going to the walks. I started becoming a philanthropist and donating money. I started getting involved in politics. I was doing all this thing. And, and I didn't realize that it's, it's healthy and a little bit unhealthy, actually, to immediately dive into whatever your cause is. It might even be a, like a cancer cause, whatever the cause is. 
Um, but a lot of us use that to then move forward and create change in other people's lives. And so I knew I wanted to do something when I left. I actually was going to open a, a, a taco restaurant. So I left um, uh, Kaiser and I had was right in the midst of like getting ready to open a restaurant. And I had this like it was like a godsend person come to me and say, what do you want your life to like look like? Like, What do you want your life to look like? And I was like, well, I want my weekends off. I want to be my kids. Blah, blah. And he was like, you are trying to open a restaurant. What's wrong with you? No, that doesn't equal each other. You need, to, you need to be doing something that equals what you want. And so I was like, oh, my God, I was on this path to like major destruction that got sidelined. And so I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to do something. And it was so bizarre, but I was in this meeting, a Sancio meeting. And so Sancio is a society of nursing innovators, um, entrepreneurs, and leaders. And um, it just happened to be in a meeting, like on a Thursday night. And um, Rebecca Love, who uh, is the president of Sancio, she was like, well, we're having a nurse hackathon tomorrow. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but that sounds fun as hell. And I don't have nothing to do this Saturday. So let's get it together. So I signed up for it. And usually you jump onto groups. So there'll be a group who already has a theme of something that they want to do for their hackathon. And I signed on so late. I was like groupless. I was lonely and groupless. <laughs> and so um, I was like, okay, what should I do? And I, I asked my kids, I was like, Hey, I'm on this hackathon. Like, what should I do? And my daughter who now is 20 years old, um, she was the younger, um, uh, younger than Harmony. She said, why don't we do something for Harmony, like around suicide prevention? And I was like, yeah, I, I want to do something. And so I was like, well, what do we do? And we were like sitting there thinking, and I was like, well, what if I do an app and it, you know, can have like meditation and blah, blah, blah. And my 10 year old was like, that's boring. I would never use that. And I was like, shit, I missed the mark. Like I, that's the age range I wanted to target. Right. And so I was like, okay, well, what do you want to, what, like, tell me what you play with. What are your games look like? And I literally had like a mini focus group right there in my house. And then we invited, we had a couple of the nurses who had similar experiences. They had kids in their lives that had mental health challenges. And they were like, yeah, I think this is something that they want. So we all did many focus groups and asked them, what would you want? What would you not want? And um, in under 24 hours, we created a frame wire for what this um, would be. And so I had it. I was like, okay, this is great. Now, like now, what do we do? And um, at the end of the hackathon, Rebecca was like, oh, by the way, Johnson and Johnson is hosting a quick fire for mental health. If you have something related to mental health, now's the time to submit for a grant. And I was like, I'm not going to get it, but I'm just going to apply because like why it won't hurt. And so I applied for it and then found out in March that I was the recipient of that award and received a significant grant in order to help propel the app. And so that's kind of like, it literally it's, I feel like my life is so happenstance. Like everything is, nothing is planned. I just don't plan anything anymore because things just happen the way that they're supposed to happen. And I go with the flow. Um, but that's kind of how it was inspired. And we're just finding that, you know, we posted it and kids are like, where can I get this? When can I get this? Where is it at? And parents are like, I want this for my child. And so we're just like feverishly trying to get it produced now. Oh wow. my God. That's <laughs> an amazing story. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, that was great. Um. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I so much am touched by, because I, uh, you know, we know that rat race of nursing. We know what it's like to overwork, what it's like to forget, you know, that you have a family and, you know, because you're just in it. And um, I, I'm so touched by, like, how it sort of stops you in your tracks. Like, I, I, I have to be there for my children like because you could have easily after harmony's death just gone right back into busy mode like yeah. well i did it, it took a right minute, but it took a minute i did I, I i buried my child and went to work literally the next day 
But something woke you up. Oh, yeah. To- yeah. After the shock wore off. I think that's what it was. It was like right, just a shock. Right. And I was like, okay, well, now what? Like, what do you do now? Right? Like, that's your mm-hmm. identity. My daughter was my identity. She was my first daughter. She's the reason I did everything that I did. Like, she was, I attribute my success to her. 14 is when you form your identity. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I can't, I can't, I'm sure you hear that so much. I can't imagine, but I can't imagine, especially when that was your identity. Yeah. You know what? What a great loss. Well, I just wanted to, same, same as what you were saying, Entree. I, I often have, the, I, I say this thing a lot. If only I could get back all the years I spent trying to extend my life, yeah. you know, but, and it was like supplements and research and, you know, the health and whatever. Cause you know, uh, uh, and in the same way, that's what people do with when I get the, this, then my life can begin. When I get the PhD, when I get the job, when I get that number in the bank account, when, 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 when then, yeah, then my life can begin. Yeah. Yeah. And life, oh, a higher, I don't even want, I mean, it doesn't even scratch it to say a higher priority in life, but life, you know, smacks you in the face and go, no, it's now you're missing it. And I've been on your website when I was stalking you and that <laughs> ethos is all over your website. Um, you know, like it's now, are you missing it? I know. Yeah. It's just, we just don't, we, it's so interesting because like, if you look at a business, we strategically plan for it, right? We set goals, we strategically plan for it. But in our own lives, we, we, we create things that we assume are goals, but they're actually dreams, right? When I say I want to lose weight, that's not a goal. That's a dream because I haven't set out a specific timeline. I haven't set out, set, set out like a specific strategy around how I'd get there. I haven't set out any of these things. Right. And so we live so structured, which gets us to our goals in work. And then we don't do that for ourselves, which is remiss because ourselves are more important. So those goals you have of, you know, well, I'll have, I remember telling my son, I remember telling my son, you know, well, when I get this job or when I move this way, we're going to have more time and we're going to be able to read stories together. And then I got that job and he was like, dude, where's my stories? Like, why am I not getting stories? And I was like, well, you know, and it was always excuses. And I realized like, what the hell are you doing? It takes five minutes to read a story. Like, You've got to schedule the time in because if you do not take control of every minute that you have, somebody else will. Somebody's meeting is going to be more important than what you want to do. Somebody's whatever it's going to be, right? How many times have you missed maybe a doctor's appointment or missed maybe, you know, somebody's game or missed whatever you've missed in the name of somebody else's priority, not your priority in the name of somebody else's meeting, somebody else's work, somebody else's to-do list. Like it happens all day because we're not cognizant enough to sit down and say, no, this is my day. This is how I'm spending my day. And then I will look at your to-do list, your meetings or whatever after. We have the right to do that. People think we don't. I used to think we didn't. I used to think, well, if I don't go to this meeting, I'm going to get fired. Mm -hmm. I never got fired when I stopped going to the meetings. I got to tell you, they figured it out. And so, you know, we just, we tell ourselves these lies of, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose this. I won't be able to afford my kids. I won't be able to afford when in actuality, that's not true. You design your time the way that it works for you. And there's, there's ways to manage it so that you get what you need to get done first. And then everybody else, what they need from you can get done or not, because we can't say yes to everything. That's just the reality of of the life that we're living. So Chris, if, if, I mean, as a, as an executive nurse, 
you know, you've probably seen many a times the young nurses who fall right into that trap, right? Because that's just the culture of nursing, especially in a hospital. And I'm curious, like, what would you say? Because it it does take a certain amount of, you know, self-awareness, like, oh, you know, and, and, and before something has to smack you in the face, like the death of a child or cancer or whatever, what would you say to these younger nurses? I mean, it would really change the culture of nursing if that were the case, if we could, if people could see that they're not going to get fired if they miss a meeting because they have another priority for their life. Yeah. I mean, I think there is twofolded. So I think there's what is within the individual's control. So for those younger nurses, I mean, you have to set boundaries. You have to set the boundaries and you're going to be setting boundaries by looking at what are your negotiables and what are your non-negotiables. So I have a list, like literally right over there. So my list, non-negotiables, I'm going to stop working by 4 p.m. My only exception is Gooseberry, which is my mastermind. So I love my mastermind meeting at 7 p.m. once a week. What's it called? Gooseberry. We, I don't know. We just got like some crazy name called Gooseberry and it's like a super fun mastermind. I love them. They're my best friends and I would do anything for them. We have all built our businesses up together. So, so I stopped working by 4 PM. That's one non-negotiable meditate slash workout one or the other or both at least 30 minutes a day and then have a meaningful conversation or activity, which with each of my family members daily. Um, and that's it. Like I have to have those. And then I have an eventually my three day weekend. So right now I actually have, I have Thursdays and Fridays I have off. I'm not, I don't have any work that I do on Thursdays and Fridays. And then I have the weekend off too. So like I, I wrote these down and sometimes like, so those are my non-negotiables, but what I also do do is I like, look at what did I want my life to look like? So about a year ago, I left um, my job in September of last year. So we're about a year now, right before I left my job, I looked at like, what do I want my life to look like in five years? And so I recommend that the listeners do that. You sit down and look at in one year from now and in five years from now, what do I want my life to look like if I had a magic wand and anything happened? So are you going to be a millionaire? Are you going to like have regular sex with um, Arnold Schwarzenegger? I don't know. I'm making that up. But like, what, what does your life look back like? In mine, day, back in the day. Sex back in the day. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that, right. For real. But mine looked like, um, it looked like attend all PTA meetings, coach my kids soccer. It looked like um, exercise every single day. Cause I was not doing that. It looked like eating meals at home with my kids. I did never have dinner with them because I was always at work. So they, we, they would have dinner on their own. It looked like um, uh, starting my own business. It looked like uh, donating $50,000 a month, right? Because I have a magic wand to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. It looked like, um, you know, creating some type of work around suicide prevention in teens. And then it looked like being debt-free, having no student loans, all of these things. I created that one year ago and it was supposed to be my five-year list. And I'm not kidding you when I tell you about a month and a half ago, I was giving this similar talk. And I was like, let me look at my list and see what I've gotten off. I haven't looked at it since I wrote it. 95% of it is done. 95% of what I wanted my dream life to look like has been done in under one year. And it's because I wrote it down. And then what I did was I looked at my actions. And so when I had these decisions around, do I stay at my job or do I leave my job? Do I look for a new job? Do I, every single thing I do, I ask, is it going to get me to those goals? So I looked at the nurse executive job. Is my nurse executive job going to allow me to spend $50,000 a month on um, on donations and, you know, philanthropy. Heck no, I wasn't even making that a month. So there's, that was obviously a, right. It's not going to meet me there. Um, was it going to allow me to have dinner with my kids? Nope. Was it going to allow me to coach kids soccer? Nope. Was it going to allow me to eat, you know, healthily and exercise? I had a three hour commute each way. Nope. nope. And so nope. I was like, okay, it's very obvious. This is not what I want to do. Right. It brings me back to that restaurant. That's where I learned how to do it. Like realizing, okay, this is the goal I want. Am I actually taking steps every single day? Little steps 
to get there? And if the answer is no, it's time to correct course. And so that's what I did. I literally looked at like all these things and I was like, okay, the checks off. Yes, we're going in that direction. And it makes your decision-making so much easier. You know, we lament like, oh, should I take it? Should I not take it? What should I do? When you have your goals lined out like that, it's easy. It's yes or no. There's no gray. It's going to get you there. It's not going to get you there. That's it. You make the decision, move on. And if it was the wrong one, you learn from the mistake. It wasn't a mistake. It's an experience that shows you, hey, you made the wrong one. Next time, here's the right one. So, you know. It sounds a lot like also saying um, two things. First of all, the way that you have gone about owning your life is just that, like owning your life. And second, secondly, it sounds like also, does this bring me peace? Like does working as a chief executive officer bring me peace? Because to your point, I mean, you've dialed it down to some, you know, really important details, but if you can, it's, it's not, it's not great. It's it's either yes or no, yeah. either, you know, it's not, Oh, it kind of brings me peace and it kind no, there's, there isn't that. And, and I would go even further than peace. So if you look at actually all the literature, um, I'm an, I'm a bookworm, like I'm an, I'm a reader. And if you look at all the literature, those that looked for things like happiness and peace actually ended up having less joy in their life than those that, that looked for purpose and meaning because mm. Happiness is an emotion and it would be inappropriate for us to be happy all the time, right? If my daughter died, I should not be laughing. Um, and so it's an emotion that comes and goes and it's fleeting and it's not something we can rely on. It's not something that we can be, have a foundation on that's going to get us through the bad times, right? I'm not going to be happy during the bad times. When you look at peace, if you're in a place of peace, it can leave you stagnant. So those of us who have had these experiences, right? I mean, I know you all have had personal experiences that have really been very uncomfortable, but those typically are our periods of growth. That's when we grow. That's when we change. That's when we help others. When we seek meaning and purpose for our lives, everything else takes care of itself. Because those, when we look for peace and meaning, and that's what I looked for. I looked, sorry, not peace. When I look for uh, uh, meaningful life and purpose, that's what I looked for in Hello Harmony. That's what I looked for in Nurse Leader Network. It brought me so much meaning knowing that I'm going to be able to help not have another mom bury their child, or I'm going to be able to help a nurse not struggle the way that I struggled in my leadership or that I felt I struggled in my leadership positions. That level of meaning brings up a resilience that will get me through the good and the bad times. So no matter what bad happens, if I can cling on to knowing that this is going to help people, even though it feels bad at this moment, even though I'm not happy, it's going to give me that ability to grow and remain resilient. So you want to go even further when you're looking for what's on that list, like what is it from that list that brings you meaning and purpose, not happiness, never seek happiness because you can seek happiness. It's going to, you're going to be acquiring stuff. Happiness is things that you get from others, not what you give to others. You'll find meaning when you're giving to others. Yeah. And happiness is like um, a symptom of purpose and meaning. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think when I say peace, like, you know, in making a decision, a big decision, like I can see the difference between like, okay, no, that gets me right up in my head and it doesn't (laughs) feel good, but this decision feels, feels good. You know, maybe it's not connected to happiness or anything, but yeah. Um, and and I think that is a, a kind of cool navigational tool because it sort of tells you where to go, right? Like, Oh, I don't want that. And like you said, if you pick that, well, that was probably a great learning experience. You know, it doesn't, it's not a bad thing, mm-hmm. but it's usually um, not the end of the world. I mean, there are very minimal things in this, this uh, world that you can choose that will lead to your death, right? That just is what it is. So, um, it, you know, it's not, so these decisions that we make, a lot of times we think they're life or death. It's not life or death. You can pivot and you can change as you need to pivot and change. And that's okay. It's part of being a human and growing up. 
I so don't think that by and large nurses know this. No, they don't. Well, that's We're what... overachievers. We're like type A overachievers. We all have to have a 3.9 or 4.0 to get into nursing school. So by, you know, we're weeding only in the overachievers in. And then we have this syndrome of constantly seeking this gold star approval for everything. And we're willing to sacrifice things because as nurses, we're givers. That's what we tell ourselves. But we don't realize that if you don't give to yourself first, what you give to everybody else is trash. It's not good. We don't realize the mistakes that I saw my nurses make as an executive were because they were tired. They were burned out. They were not taking care of themselves. If they had been, they would have had more attention, more focus in what they were doing and their actions would have led to better outcomes. So we, we think that by saying, oh yeah, I'll take an extra shift. You're doing yourself a favor. You're doing the hospital a favor. You're doing them a disservice because it's going to put people at risk. And we know that by literature, we know that by you know, stories we tell each other, we know that, but, but we, we forget that, I think. Been there. <laughs> All of us have. Yeah. Actually, that was, I, I often tell the story, the last shift I ever worked at a hospital, that happened. I love how this, this always goes because we started with you and what happened to you. And then how your life looked differently after that happened to you, how you coped, how you adjusted, how you pivoted. And now I'd like to know how you, and you already talked about the um, teen suicide prevention thing, but talk, can you now talk a little bit about nurse le- the Nurse Leaders Network? I know we've kind of been tiptoeing around it, but, um, but now how are you taking your pivot and putting it into the world for, for others? Yeah. I mean, so I, I started the Nurse Leader Network podcast actually before I was thinking about leaving my job, but I started it as just to help because I had so many people come up to me or reach out to me on like LinkedIn and they were like, how do you do this? Or how can you, do you have a minute for this? And I was like, let's just do a podcast where I get to interview like really cool people and they can share like best practices. Like, let's get them out there. And as I did that, I started having people reach out and want more. They wanted more. And so they were like, can you speak? Do you do one-on-ones? And I have decided that I do not want to exchange my time for money anymore. So I don't want to give you one hour and you give me an amount of money, like a, a job, right? I don't want to do that because I want to be able to make money in my sleep because I want to spend my time the way I want to spend my time. Kind of greedy with my time now because I don't know how much of it I have left and neither do you. Um, and so, you know, I, um, I like totally, I like totally just blanked on what the heck, but okay. So anyways, so I was like, it's kind of started that way. And then I realized like, oh, what if I like create a membership where, you know, people can sign up for this membership and I can share with them like cool tools that I know how to use or that I have developed. Um, I can, you know, give them trainings on things like how to have a crucial conversation, how to overcome things like, you know, imposter syndrome. Like I'm a new leader. How do I overcome those feelings? How do I get my team to bond? Like they just don't want to bond. These are things that you're not going to learn in school. You don't learn. They're just like, you learn them with experience, right? Like how do I budget, right? There's a lot of people that are in nursing and they're like, okay, I'm a leader. Now how do I budget? And so I started having like these membership kind of meetings and groups and creating these trainings and these workshops. Um, and, and people are loving it, but unexpectedly what I found was my target was like, okay, well, I'm a nurse executive. I've done ambulatory. I'm a nurse practitioner. I've been in academia and I've done acute care. So that was my target. But I found people saying, how'd you leave your job? How did you start making money? How did you get a business? How'd you file an LLC? And so inadvertently, it's kind of been this thing where I was like, okay, well, you guys are nurse leaders too. Nursing entrepreneurs are definitely nurse leaders. They're pioneers. And so now we have entrepreneurs in there as well. So I have um, offerings for folks that are um, 
in traditional jobs, doing, you know, um, nursing leader work in whether it's academia or in practice and operations. And then I have another subset of folks that are looking to either become nurse leader, uh, nurse leaders in the entrepreneur setting or do a side gig. And so I'm just kind of showing them how to create passive income. Now, what I don't do for the entrepreneurs is things like helping set up a clinic. I, I have tons of experience around that. Um, but that's not my passion and I don't want to, and it's been probably about 10 years since I've done that. So I don't want to give old information. So I help entrepreneurs that are in nursing that want to make a passive income. Um, so it's not necessarily setting up a shop. It's usually online presence. So what do you, do you think, um, do you think, uh, like in this current COVID situation and, you know, we know like nurses are burned out and they want to leave their jobs. Like, how do you see, and I mean, I think it's fascinating that that's what they're calling you for is like, I'm done. I don't want to be, I want to start my own business. And there's so much opportunity for oh, yeah. to do that. And I think it's, can, will be so influential to all, to healthcare, to, you know, policy, all of that stuff. But like, how do you see that working in our current situation? I actually, you know, I was interviewed the other day and um, somebody asked a similar question. And so I'll tell you that response because it's the same response today. I am so optimistic and so thrilled because although we're having like this like exodus of folks leaving um, maybe traditional jobs, they're going out and they're doing things that have been needed forever. And they are like revolutionizing and changing the way that we see and do business in our lives, regardless of whether it's in healthcare or not in healthcare. So, and I don't think that would have happened had they not gotten so uncomfortable in their current positions that they were forced to like, okay, I have to actually have this, you know, moment in my life and change. And so I, I see it as a really great thing because we're seeing nurses now get involved in things that traditionally you wouldn't think of as nursing. So for my, um, for folks that are with the nurse leader networks, for example, like some of them are doing things in the nursing realm. So, right. They'll do things like um, patient care and they're doing like diabetes and different like things that they can do online with trainings and telehealth and that kind of stuff. But then I also have folks that are like, I don't want to do this. I want to do things like run an Airbnb. I want to, you know, and the Airbnb is specifically for whoever, or I want to do things like, um, you know, I want to run for office. I want to become, you know, a politician. And so it's just non-traditional things where people are coming and saying, Hey, I have this idea about blending nursing with another discipline. And how can I make that come to fruition? How can I make that come out? And so it's, I think nursing is beginning to influence other disciplines in such a meaningful and beautiful way. And I'm like excited to see what's happening right now is the perfect time. If you're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, it's the perfect time to become one because the sky is literally the limit. We are the trailblazers um, in nursing entrepreneurship. Love it. Yeah. It's like the system was already a pus filled boil and then, and then COVID like rubbed some more dirt on the top of it, you know, and now it's just like ready to pop. I mean, yeah. it is. And we, the whole time we're trying, you know, we're trying like, you know, acne creams to put on the system to get the pus to drain out a little bit and alcohol and, you know, trying to, sorry about my, my pussy boil metaphor, <laughs> you know, we're nurses. So, um, but yeah, it's like this time has just squeezed the spot yeah. and it's, and it's going, what I see for like what people like, what, what I did, what Antra's um, doing and what's her, you know, our, her colleague, Sierra, uh, this um, private patient advocacy thing, it is starting to change things from a grassroots level because this, um, this patient literacy, the increase in patient literacy, literacy, 
you know, what's the standard of care that you deserve? What does informed, like making a fully informed decision mean? Not just what that person says, but this and this and this. Mm-hmm. And people are starting to know what the standard of care is that they deserve and what they can demand and what, you know. Uh, they need to take ownership of their healthcare. It, it would be a better place if they did. And so, and Dr. Google is not the answer, but you do need to be well-informed and take ownership of your mm-hmm. healthcare. And, you know, doctors and nurses are humans too. We make mistakes. And so the world would just be a better place if the consumers understood what it is that they need to understand. So I, I think that's an absolute a great example. I mean, I love what the, the work that you're doing. And I think that's another great example of non-traditional, right? Maybe Maybe that like kind of skims nursing, but it also skims a lot of like advocacy and, and different things and different ways you can blend your nursing skills so that you don't have to necessarily be providing direct patient care, but you're providing care. I yeah. think it will, I think it will change the standard of care because not only, sorry, I don't know if you can hear that dog, but not only can you, um, not only can you help people become informed because they want to be informed. I mean, oftentimes clients reach out to us to talk about like, what are my options? But to your point, like getting people engaged in their care. And I think that's so key, like owning it and, you know, doing what, doing the work they need to do to heal. Cause you know, so that's sort of a tangent, but it is to your point of, you know, the entrepreneurship and the trailblazing and whatnot. Okay. I have another question for you. If you want to become a nurse leader in the conventional system, you know, we put place in nursing, we place a lot of emphasis on education, education, education. Like you can't even be a manager. I think in most places, at least in Oregon without your master's degree. So how important is it to have a master's PhD to, because for me, I will tell you, I mean, if I, I thank you taxpayers, cause they paid for my, um, <laughs> my master's degree <laughs> cause I'm a veteran, but uh, honestly, like, I think I could have probably done it without the masters. Yeah. Well, so my teachers would murder me, but I'm, I, be, I know, you know, as vulnerable <laughs> as I am. Um, I think there, there is a place for, um, different degrees. So I think there's definitely, I mean, like uh, an example is like, if you get a master's degree in, Administ- nursing administration, um, you will tend to come to a manager position more informed, but you're going to still learn on the job. There's still things that you're going to learn on the job that are going to be specific and unique to your um, organization versus a nurse who may be like me. I'm a nurse. Pra- I got a nurse practitioner for my master's. I had a huge learning curve because I didn't really understand budgets at that point. Right. So, so I think there is value to it. Um, now in terms of like, Am I going to say, I think you need to go get a master's if you want to become a leader? I think you really need to, before you even go that far, number one, decide why you want to be a leader. Um, You know, some leaders that I meet want to become a leader really because of status versus other things. And so those leaders tend to not be super successful, regardless of what degree or no degrees you have. And then the second is really understanding, like, what sacrifices are you willing to make and not make? And how vulnerable are you willing to be with your people? Um, You know, the reality is, the very big reality is, in most jobs, not just us, inside and outside of nursing, it's your network, right? So when I applied for the C and um, E position, the chief nurse executive position, I actually didn't want to apply for it. I um, somebody came up to me and tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Hey, Chris, we think we're going to be you're going to be a good you'll be good for this position." And I was like, "Nah, I don't think so." Hey, Chris, 
I think you're going to be good. So, eh, I don't know. Well, why don't you talk to the former CNE and why don't you talk to the recruiter? I think you, you know, so it was one of those. And that's the reality of your network and the reality of you showing what, how good you are, where you stand. So, I mean, I think for those that are in leadership, there are going to be some positions that have mandates in terms of like, um, for licensing. So right now we have licensing mm-hmm. um, standards. Now, whether that needs to go away or not, I don't know that I'll comment on that because I, I don't have enough information to make an educated comment on that. Um, but, you know, like for in license, for license standings, you have to have certain degrees. So if you really want that position in a licensed area. That's non-negotiable. It's just part of how our right. licensing is set, set up right now. Sure. Now, that being said, you also need to weigh where you're at, right? I was in the middle of child rearing when I was having all of these, getting all these degrees. If I could go back, I would have not done it that way. I would not have had a PhD today. I would have held off on that. Um, and so you got to look at like where you're at with your life as well as where you want to be at. Um, and like I said, it just depends. It also depends on the program. So I've seen, you know, nurse, nursing programs that really educate them well. And I've seen some that unfortunately you're spending a lot of money for and you're not getting your buck, your dollars worth. Um, so there's a lot of different things, but I think, for anybody who's listening that is interested in a formal leadership role or even an informal leadership role, the number one thing you need to do is do good in the job that you're in. You'll be recognized for that. So if you're, you know, and when I say do good, I don't mean you're the one that always picks up the shifts. You're, I mean, do good by setting the example, being vulnerable and sharing with people, hey, this is how I'm feeling or this is not how I'm feeling. Making sure that you're speaking up and saying, hey, this is a gap I see. And these are a couple of potential solutions I see. Let's talk about how we can enter you know, making sure that you're not the star of the show. Leaders, people think that as a leader, like everything kind of depends on us. But the reality of a leadership role is that your role is to develop others, period. If you have fully developed your other people, your shop's going to run well. If you have not, you're going to be the one that's burning out, always kind of doing all these. So you want to develop people to help them meet their goals. Like that's my goal is to help you get to your goal as a leader. So those are some of the tips you want to start implementing where you stand, whether you're a brand new grad, you can do those things today. Um, and they'll, you'll propel. I became a chief nurse executive in under 10 years, like literally under 10 years. I, I, it was like that. So, I mean, you can, I became a medical director, the first like interim medical director that was a nurse here in California. I became, I did, I got that role, I think, um, four years after I graduated. So with my BSN. So, I mean, there's, you, you'll be able to scale up quickly if you have what it takes. And by having what it takes, it means that you have other people's interests in terms of their development above yours, but that you're also setting a good, good example around having boundaries because they're going to model you. If you're never taking time off and you're, they're going to model you and you're going to burn your team out. So you really have to be the one that's going to say, this is, you know, this is how I'm feeling. And I'd love to hear about how you're feeling. And, and um, people think those are soft skills, but in reality, those are the skills that help get you a team that is going to, you know, knock the socks off outcomes. Yeah. I Can I, I'd love to tell a quick story and then I'd like to get your feedback take. Um, Cause it happened to me and I'm sure it happens to a lot of nurses that you help, you know, over, you've helped over the last year or so doing what you do. But when I, I was working in an ICU and um, I was a clinical coordinator on night shift or whatever. And while this was going on, I went to the same program that Antra went to, to learn private patient advocacy, but it wasn't, I mean, the course was all about fun- functional integrative medicine, systems biology, what's going on around the globe that other, you know, uh, health par- par- medical paradigms are doing that we don't even have in the United States, you know? And it was like, I always say, you know, it was like, 
I went to that program thinking the world was flat and then someone showed me a satellite picture. (laughs) I mean, there's so much more that we could do. People don't have to be sick. So I started practicing and I was fascinated in neuroadrenal testing. I mean, a story for another time, but it's what, what flipped my life in a day, you know, seeing that I was burnt out and pushing on through and hiding it and all go, no quit, never let them see you sweat, you know, and I crashed hard. And I was also learning about this neuroadrenal testing at the same time. The thing that woke me up to what I was doing to myself was that I was my first client and I saw that test. And it was explaining why I couldn't recover from infections and why I had dementia and why, you know, all this stuff. So I started my business on the side as a, you know, side hustle, patient, patient advocacy and doing this testing and learning and learning and learning and learning. I lay like rabbit holes and I talk about it at work. And it's like nurses sometimes are the first to put, you're climbing over the fence, you know, and they're the first to pull you back down, you know, (laughs) oh, that's, that's stupid. Where's the research? And even the doctors would start, you know, oh, where's the research? That's, that has no basis. What are, they don't know. They haven't read the same stuff in research and hadn't seen the patient outcomes that I was having in my side gig. And the more successful I got, and I stopped talking about it at work because all they would do is pull me back down off the fence that I was climbing over. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually when I was able to leave the hospital setting and do more I'm the one coming back into hospital settings and work environments and teaching the nurses and teaching the doctors with my little BSN, you know, but I gave myself a PhD in so many things and business and, you know, all kinds of different medical sciences and whatever that I could have never gotten in a traditional master's or PhDs, you know, nursing science classroom. I is very specific to me. Now I don't have alphabet soup after my name. I mean, I got the BSN and all those, you know, I collect sea glass and coaching certifications, but what can you, sorry, I'll take it off of me now. <laughs> I, I needed to focus. Can you speak to that? Because I think that is, that is such a big challenge. It was for me, but like you, you know, nobody was going to get me off that path. Yeah. That was what I saw. That was what I was doing. And then I learned how to adapt. I'm just not going to talk about this at work because even though I'm not, it's not stopping me. I don't want to be, pulled off the fence, you know, that kind of thing. But I think it stops a lot of people. Andre and I have seen a lot of nurses go through the program we went through and, and there's been a very small percentage of them that actually move forward, start their own business. And yeah. Yeah. Well, the, okay. So the reality around business starting or becoming leader or anything is the difference between you and those that don't do it is action period. That's it. It's not motivation. It's not if you're taking tiny little actions every day, even if you feel like there's a super smallest, like let's say, you know, my action for today is going to be, you know, I'm going to change the color of a font on my website. I don't know, something super, you're still doing it. And eventually you'll still get there, right? Remember the story of the tortoise and the hare. Eventually you will get there if you do tiny actions. Um, so that's that. Number two, regarding, um, you know, your degrees. I, you, we obviously know with the people that are leading some of the largest organizations in the world that you don't need to have a degree for those things, right? A lot of it is going to be on the job. It depends on what you need to do. Now, obviously, if you're going to become a nurse practitioner, you got to go to school because you're not going to get licensed without it. Uh, entrepreneurship is a whole nother beast. Maybe you want to take some classes in marketing and you want to take some classes in things that are going to be relevant to that. But when it comes to like those that are in limbo, right? I remember when I started sharing about what I was doing 
same thing. First of all, I was wondering, like, am I going to get fired because I have a podcast? Uh, like, am I saying something on my podcast that could get me fired? And then I realized, like, number one, probably not. But if I am, I'm willing to accept that because these are my views and and I'm trying to help other people be able to be successful here. So, um, but I think, yes, you, you have to understand that when you're doing anything new, what are different and it doesn't matter what it is that's different. So whether it's going on and opening a new business, whether it's looking for another job, you're going to have people just like when the world was flat that are just not going to buy in, right? They're just, we have people today that still to this day think you're getting a microchip when you get your vaccine for COVID. There are going to be people that have their beliefs and guess what? You will never be able to change them. These people can be dying of whatever, and they're still going to believe that there's whatever their beliefs are. That's the definition of a belief, right? That you hold it until through death. But your goal is to continue pressing on. So if you, if I, let's say I had been mentoring you, I would have told you to keep on talking about what you're doing and bring them the literature because you know that what you're doing is going to impact other paid people. So they could say, well, where's the literature? As a matter of fact, I'll share some with you. Here's some of the things that I've seen. Or as a matter of fact, X, Y, and Z. If people will, always, you have to understand that when you are going to be going against status quo, people will always, always push back on you. And that is okay. They can push back. They can have their beliefs, but I'm going to continue on in my path and I'm going to continue sharing my path if I know it's to benefit other people. So, you know, for those that are listening that are like trying and they're like kind of getting, you know, like they just feel bad. Like nobody really, you know, understands what I'm saying or they're, you know, saying that it's not right or whatever. If you, if you know what you know, if you have whatever it is that you need to support what you have. And sometimes the fact of the matter is there isn't any literature. There's, that's why we have something called phenomenology and grounded theory and all these other things. Cause sometimes there's just no literature out there on the thing. Um, but it's anecdotally, right? And so it's anecdotally, this is what we're finding. It's working. And these are some of the outcomes I'm seeing. Be the person that makes the change. It's not easy. It's not easy. Um, it never will be easy. It, it, it's, you know, if you're a change maker and a trailblazer, like that's the definition of trailblazing. Your job is to help get the laggards on board right after you've like proofed some of the concepts. So it's not easy, but it's also important to remember their values, their opinions aren't really going to matter. It's not going to change your success, right? All of the things they told you are not changing their success. And then it's also even more important to remember when you have done what you've done, which is said, Basically, well, now I'm actually your consultant. You said I was wrong to not throw it in their face, right? Because we know. Oh that God, no. Need their time, right? Yeah. So, um, no, I'm not saying you're doing. It. I'm just saying for those because I've, I've. You don't need to. Yeah. You know? Exactly. So, I mean, it, in a nutshell, can you can you repeat my two new favorite words? Phenomenology. Oh yeah, phenomenology and grounded theory. So those are two different types of research that we do when there's no research, right? And we literally are just interviewing people mm-hmm. and trying to take themes and understand what those themes are because there is no data out there. So we need to start from the ground zero, which is let's talk. Let's have a conversation around a you know, specific set of circumstances that you have experienced around your experience. Let's talk about that. So, um, you know, and that's, that is what it is. That's where we start if there's nothing out there. Those are just two of many types. There's a bunch of different types, but those are the two that came to mind. Well, send me a list. I love that. Well, I mean, that's like the, the rabbit holes that I most go down are, are that like near-death experience and radical yeah. remission. And, you know, it's, I mean, people, people who are doing phenomena are occurring. So if it's, it's a possible in one human being that's made of the same carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and stardust as another, then it's possible in all of us. So, you know, but there isn't a whole lot of, there isn't a whole lot 
gathered except for anecdotal stuff. There's no science and biology behind it, you know? Yeah. You can and I would say that collects it. I am. <laughs> and I would also say that, you know, when we talk about like getting shut down because there's, you know, where's the research or what you're talking about is, you know, baloney, whatever. Cause I've been there. Um, I think it's also like getting people to see what is true for them. Right. Because once you see what's true for you, like really true for you, it makes, you know, pushing up against that a little bit easier. That's true. You know? And so I I think that there's something in, you know, action, of course, like if you, if there's no action, like you're just going to sit in the lounge and eat donuts. I mean, I don't know, but (laughs) right. Like there's the action piece is really important, but I think it's also, you know, because I was always so frustrated in the OR. I mean, I was operating room nurse for 20 years and I would be like, well, how, why is that true? And you know, a doctor would be like, well, because there's so much, and it still just didn't fit. Even if I had seen the research about something. And so it was more of me, like, this doesn't make sense. Like it just doesn't make sense. And then it gave me some courage to like push back and to question and to not be so afraid that, that, um, you know, I was going to get just squashed or stomped on or told that I was whatever. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And I, and you brought up a good point, which is you asked why. So I think that's probably the biggest undergirt, like found foundational piece of it is find your why, why is it that you're doing what you're doing and then help people understand your why there's this really great talk, um, around how to find your why, but um, Simon Sinek says, yeah, people great. don't buy what you're doing. They buy why you're doing it. And so that's the same thing around, you know, when you were sharing your, what you're doing, make sure that you're really well rooted in your why and that you're expressing the why versus the what. So instead of saying, mm-hmm. for example, maybe you do this, that, and this in the, let's talk about why we're doing this because we don't want our patients sick. We want them healthy and happy and at home and to have long lives. That is our why. And I know you share the same why I am because that's why you're in healthcare, right? So let's talk about the why and then move into the what. Um, so that's another thing too. Yeah, and you're right. It gives you bravery when you're, when you know your why. Like I know my why. My why is because I don't want another mom to bury their kid. I, my why is because I don't want any other nurses to feel like they can't do it. Like they can't lead. They can. They have the tools. It's within each one of us as lead as nurses. That's my why. And I'm going to continue pushing on. And people can say, oh, wow. I had people that were like, you're going to do what? Like, why would you leave all this? Mm. Because this is my why. Because I can't do what I want to do on the scale I want to do it in the role I'm in right now. Right. So find your why. Find your why, people. I would love for you to meet. Um, we had um, a, f- a friend of mine on the podcast, Fiona Jacob. And um, she was... at. at when she was 20 in her twenties in a nurse in Saudi Arabia, she was held hostage, thought she was going to die every day in a bombing, in a stabbing, like had all these experiences and kept finding peace in the midst of all of that. And it transformed her. And then she became a director of nursing and, and she calls it transformative presence, that peace within, in the midst of chaos and pain and whatever. And she uses that. Now she goes into institutions and just her one person changes everything around just by, you know, you would be, I would love for you. To, we have a podcast with her. I'd love for you to listen to that and, and oh, yeah. share her with your audience. Because I think the two of you just seeing a totally different management style, totally different leadership spot style and really mm-hmm. um, 
reminded me when you said, you know, you, like these weren't your words, but leading from not even just behind, but from within, Yeah, you know? Yeah. It's our grow. It's our job. We are the waterers, right? But we can't water others until we've watered ourselves. Right? Mm. Um, so as leader, you know, there's this book and it says it's called leaders eat last or something like that. And I think that that book is baloney. Um, <laughs> what is it called? Leaders eat last. Leaders eat last or something like that. And I think it's baloney because you can't lead your team if you're not taking good care of yourself. You just can't. If you're burned out, cranky, tired, overweight, unhappy, divorced, how are you going to lead anybody like that? So I, I don't agree with that. As a leader, you need to eat first to supplement yourself so that you could help others grow. Um, and that's just how I live. And you do that by being true to who you are and showing up the way that you really are and being open and not hiding stuff from your staff um, and saying, hey, I'm having a cruddy day. Like, I, I'm going to need some love today, you know, or whatever it is. But you really need to set that example, because if we don't, we're going to have these, you know, robotic leaders in the future that we can't have robotic leaders that are taking care of human being lives. Like, that's not OK. Maybe for some industries, that's OK, but it's not OK for nursing. Um, it's not okay for any industry. You just can't get outcomes. You know, even if you're working at like Google, that's or wherever that's not health or healthcare related. Like you, you just aren't going to get outcomes when your people are suffering because your leaders are burned out and not taking care of themselves. Well, and I think it's um, it's right to say that you can be vulnerable and you can say I'm having a shitty day. I mean, I think there's a lot of culture in nursing that is like we've talked about: be tough, be strong. You know, blah blah, blah. and to never be able to just really be transparent and be you. I mean, I, you know, my whole story is like, Oh God, I got to be me. That's it. Like there, there is nothing else, you know? And if, if people, some people don't like it, that's okay. But I think what we've been talking about, you know, why Karen brought up Fiona and, and your style as well is like, people know it. They know it. They can smell mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the, the facade a million, a mile away. Right. Mm-hmm. So I really love, you know, that was a good, that was a good comparison because you guys are both kind of talking the same way, but definitely different styles. So it's very cool. That's awesome. I got, I wrote her name down, so I'm going to go check her out. Can you tell a story about a success that you facilitated or somebody's aha, or they, you know, did what they wanted to do. They kind of followed what you said as an inspiration and a facilitator and a mentor. And now they went from doing this to now they're doing this. Um, I think, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of them and I have like a ton of different stories around like mistakes I've made that have like grown me and others as well. I think one like kind of, cool Oh, that's story, a good thing too. <laughs> I know, that one was a, that one's a, a whole nother, that's about interpersonal growth. But I think one way that, you know, you can show up for your um, team and, you know, like one story of where I had my team, I showed up for them, I think, in the way that they need it was we were having issues with um, sepsis in our hospital. So we just had, you know, just most hospitals struggle with sepsis. And so we were struggling with sepsis and we were looking at developing an educational program for that. And so, you know, traditionally we would have done what the traditional you know, competency assessment, validation, skills day, whatever we would, you know, that's traditional type of competencies. Right. And, um, and, you know, traditionally that's like the most affordable, that's the one that we can keep, you know, nurses on the floor as much time as possible. Like those are the, those are the kind of easy ones to do. And I told my team like to just figure it out. I said, Get, guys, you guys can, they had all kinds of really cool ideas. And I said, I'm going to like go with whatever you guys want to do. You're the experts. You're the ones that are the educators figure out how you want to teach people about sepsis and let's, let's uh, go with the flow. 
And they were like, what? Like, they, you, do you want to give us any structure? And I was like, no, I'm, no, I'm going to, you all are the experts. You need to tell me how to do the job. I'm not going to tell you how to do the job. And so they went off and these fabulous, absolutely like brilliant nurses. I love them to death. They, they're, they're fantastic. They created an escape room. So, you know, like when you go to Halloween Horror Nights or whatever, and there's like an escape room, like you have to escape a pirate room or whatever. They created an escape room for sepsis. I love it already. (laughs) And so they, they literally like, and then they incorporated something called team steps, which is how to work on a team. So you could not escape that room without your team steps that worked with you on the unit. And so we, you know, they created this thing and literally like to unlock keys and things, you had to look at the Foley and you had to identify lactic acid and all these different things that are important in sepsis. Um, and then you had to create like the team camaraderie or you were not getting out of that escape room. You know, your patient wouldn't get out of the escape room alive is what basically what um, the escape room was. And so they, we went ahead and we did this and we, they were so cute. They created all these like cool videos and like wore superhero outfits. And then I remember for like that nurses week, like to kind of prop it up, I went dressed as Florence Nightingale. Like we all had our Florence Nightingale robes on and you know, so we did all these things in these videos and like hyped up the staff so they'd be excited to do the escape room. And I knew it had worked when we had a nurse come about two or three months after we had this uh, escape room. We had a nurse come up and say, hey, I identified a patient with sepsis and saved their life because of the escape room that I had went through two, weeks, two months ago. I knew at that moment, like we were on something good. And it was really about like that leadership type of style was really about Sometimes we need to not, you know, and traditionally, like in former rules, I probably would have said, okay, well, here's our budget. Here's what we need to do here. Some of the timeline, I would have given more feedback. But in this case, it was really like, I don't have the answer. Like, I really don't have the answer. You know, I have the answer. So you tell me what you think. And they were such a fun group. They wanted, they wanted it to be fun so that nurses wanted to do it. And it was just like, perfect. Like, I can't imagine, um, you know, a more perfect outcome. And that team was just fantastic. But it was because I you know, pulled off the reins. And sometimes you got to do that as a leader because these people are smart. They know their job better than you know their job. And we shouldn't be telling them how to do their job. As leaders, we need to get, have formal ways of really receiving that information. And so that's one way. Another really cool way is like doing shark tank. So like I would say, okay, we have this gap, you know, I want these units to come up with their idea and we'll pitch it to a shark tank. And then we're going to actually fund one of these ideas and get it going throughout the hospital. So there's a lot of cool ways to do different things that we can, you know, include some gamification in there and, uh, you know, have their input. But that's really when you're going to have the nurses buy in versus like, oh, I have to go and do another sepsis of thing. Let me just check off this questionnaire. And you know what I mean? Like it wasn't meaningful. I don't know that she would have saved somebody's life had we had done it the traditional way. I think that's so cool because it's so empowering for, for the staff to, to be able to come up with, what they already know and the trust, like, Hey, you guys tell me, I don't know. I mean, that is amazing. And I think that's such a, like, like that is a quality. I think a nurse leader has to have. That's it. It's so renegade. I mean, (laughs) love it. Yeah. Like see what I did there. (laughs) It is (laughs) a sepsis escape room. That's amazing. Yeah. It's so then they went cool. on the next year and they did, we looked at like what our high risk areas were. And so now they have escape rooms for different, you know, topics, different competencies and areas that the, the, they're struggling. And I mean, they're great. We had physicians go through them, nurses. Go, it wasn't just for nurses. Like it was teams. So we'd bring in respiratory. This is really fun. Are those, are, are there um, conferences where those poster boards are being displayed? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. literally like I can totally see that being at a conference and somebody, you know, looking at, 
what is what I mean that's total innovation. Yeah, and they they've done that was another big thing was just making sure that they got their work published. So they yeah. that was a big part of like, okay guys, you did this and now we got to share it. So they have done uh, many posters, they have written an article. Um, yeah, so I think that's it. cool. Yeah. It seems like that would be in an in an you know, in a community hospital in an operating room at least from my experience. You don't do a whole lot of running a code because you don't often it's not a trauma center, right? Like and so I was always like so curious like you know, we have a standard way to run a code, right? Like there's this, but nobody ever wants to do it. And you have to come in early at in-service and it's just like more, and I don't really know how much learning actually takes place in those types of situations. So like, what a great innovation. Yeah. You could do it for anything, right? Yeah, you could do it for anything. It's really fun. Yeah. You want to make sure like we, we, they really, they hit the books, man. They like went into the literature yeah. made sure that everything was up to date, that the evidence-based practice for treatment was up to date. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did great. And then they yeah. got donations throughout the hospital. They're like, anybody have an old Pixis I can use for the, like the little old med card so we can use that. And mm-hmm. I mean, they just, it was really great. They, they did a great job. And then, so cool. the, you know, they highlighted it, right. They, they made it like a game. So they would say who can escape sepsis the fastest. And then, you know, teams were competing to see who they could get through with the fastest. And it was really cool. It was, it was awesome. nice. We were able to advertise this. So yeah, it was, a good, it was a, a good thing. That's a great example. So that's inside. So one more. So that's inside the hospital. So since you've been doing what you're doing with the Nurse Leaders Network, do you have an example of, of since you've been out of the hospital in your membership, uh, you know, something that um, one of your members has gained from the site and went from this to this? Yeah. I have one who, um, she was a new grad and, uh, was, uh, unable to, she was trying to get new grad programs and she only wanted to get new grad programs and ended up being a year post-graduation and then didn't qualify for new grad programs anymore. So she had a year since graduation, didn't qualify for new grad programs and was trying to figure out like how to navigate everything. And so she had been applying for a lot of jobs and nobody would hire her because she had no experience and she hadn't been in the program and ended up getting hired at blood donation location. And, you know, she was working there. She was really enjoying it. And within several months, they asked her to step up into a leadership position. And she had really wanted to go into pediatrics and like school care. Like she really wanted to go into school care. And so we, we sat with her, actually, I did some like one-on-one mentoring in our groups and we, I was able to give her enough tools to do many things. So she ended up number one, deciding to take the leadership position, even though she like literally, I mean, this person's like a, an early, you know, been out of school, not, you know, not very long. Um, but she also was able to like the person who ended up, um, being her boss, there wasn't a great relationship there. And so we have done like tons of work around how to repair a relationship when let's say, for example, maybe you're a peers and now this person's a subordinate or now they're reporting to you. Um, so we did a lot of work around that. We did a lot of work around her teamwork because her style of leadership was very different than her previous leaders, uh, the previous leader that was there. And so she did a lot of work on learning how to become vulnerable, on learning how to include them as part of the team. Um, she's just done like terrific. She's done so much work and they, I can see that she's going to continually kind of be promoted, but she actually just reached out to me a couple of days ago and told me, Hey, I just found out about a leadership job inside of a school. Is it too early to jump ship? And my answer to her was no, it's not. Um, And so, you know, it looks like she's going to be doing this new type of transition, but I don't know that that new position would have been offered had she not accepted the one that she accepted in this. Mm -hmm. We have this like brand new grad, Literally has never done any. She was like so afraid. She was like, 
I have to do at least a year of acute care. I'm going to lose all my skills. I said, what skills? If you want to work in ambulatory forever, you don't need those skills. You'll never, ever, ever need to know how to push Rosefin in an IV if you're going to be working in school. Like you don't need that skill. So it was really a lot around like misperceptions. Like I have to do this or I'm going to lose it. Or I have to, I told her I was a nurse practitioner and became a chief nurse executive. Yeah. We we have a, how it's, how it ought to go in our head, this programming. And we end and then people too often end up turning their beaks up. Their, their beaks up at the breadcrumbs the universe has laid out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's such great advice for new, for new nurses, because that really is kind of the, the conditioning is like, you, you got to go work in a, you know, a nursing home right out of school, right out of school. You can't start in an OR, you can't start in an ER and an ICU. And, um, I think that this is, I, I just, I love this advice because I think, it's so outside of the box, right? Like you, it's blowing up the box. You can graduate from nursing school and do whatever you want. That's how I, we, that's how we all gravitate to each other. That was me. Like, you know, I couldn't find a ICU job as a new grad and that was all I wanted to do. Yeah. And there was a nursing shortage in the Southwestern United States in 1996 when I was looking for my first job and I went like this on a map, closed my eyes, <laughs> ping the tail on the donkey my finger lands on Las Cruces, New Mexico. I drove from Cleveland to Las Cruces, just me. I was 22. I lied my way into an interview with the nurse manager. <laughs> I told him we had an appointment and we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and because I knew, I knew that all I had to do was get myself in front of somebody, Yeah, you know, and, but, but those doors are just like, whoosh, you just have yeah. to keep. Not mm-hmm. Yeah. And the reality is, like, like I said, so many people think you have to do acute care before you can go anywhere else. That's just not the case. Like you, you just, you don't need, I am telling you, I became a chief nurse executive of an acute care center. And the only acute care experience I had was as an emergency room nurse. I never worked med surge. I'm not working med surge as a CNA, but I never worked it as an RN. Like you don't need that because I'm not the one that's going to be doing a code. I'm not going to go down there and do the code. What I need to know is how to select the right individuals who are going to be able to train people who are going to be actually running the codes. So, it's, you know, leaders forget, like sometimes because we want to get so enmeshed in in our team, mm-hmm. which is also a bad thing. We don't want to be that enmeshed. Um, yes, you should know how to do the job, but you should not be the one that's covering all of the shifts if somebody's calling out because then you don't have time to actually do the things that a leader needs to do. So, um, you know, but I, I think it's really about. Like thinking about how you, again, looking at your one to five years, does acute care nurse, you know, does that match that? No. Okay. Well then guess what? There's a bazillion of other things. You can go into Microsoft. You can go ahead and work for, you know, uh, as an employee health nurse at some company, you can go ahead and, I mean, you can open your own business. You can, there's so many things you can do. You do not have to start with acute care. That, and a lot of people still think that. To this Chris, day, do, you, do you think that that's, um, do you think that, um, I mean, you just said a lot of people still think that, but do you think that that's really is kind of what we're teaching these new grads as they graduate still, that you so. have to have this med surge experience that you can't really do anything else until you get it? Because, you know, I mean, this podcast is fabulous for, you know, from beginning to end, but really like what a great message for new nurses. Like if you're getting ready to graduate and you know that you want to do the operating room, for example, like just because that's, you know, talking about me now, <laughs> right? But like, seriously, then no, I don't want to do a, a year on, on a med search floor. I want to go straight to the operating room. And what are the action steps and the things I need to do to do that? Kind of like Karen, I mean, yeah, you, you just brought it full circle on I mean, that's perfect. Cause we yeah. began with Chris saying, 
What do you want your life to look like? Mm-hmm. And everything you're doing in your day or in your career, is that getting you to what you want your life to? And it, there you go. That's the clear yes, no. And yeah, I love how that went. Woo. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, the fact of the matter is people still believe it. You'll still have nurses that that was their path. So they believe mm-hmm. that that's right. the only path. They don't realize it's right. the path. You still have, you know, nursing instructors that all, I'm a nursing professor right now. And I still hear it where people are just like, that's where you should start. And that's because that's how their path went. Mm-hmm. But that is, their path is not your path. You own right. your path and you can decide right. the way that your path looks. So if you're interested in OR, then go to the OR. If you're interested right. in ambulatory, then go to ambulatory. Wherever you're interested in, go there. Well, and to figure out how to get there, right? Like to take those action steps to, you know, I mean, it's one thing to say, I want to work in the OR right after graduation, but if I'm just going to sit on my you know, duff and, you know, wait for it to come to me, it's probably not going to come to pass. Like, I do think that the action piece is key. And, and so I really appreciate that about your story and about really your whole, whole story has been, you know, that maze balls, you know, progression (laughs) and, and so much also Chris, for people to learn about just what you've been through and how it changed you and motivated you. And I mean, of, freaking incredible. Thank you. It's been really fun. I'm so glad that we were able to finally get together out there. You all are changing the world with this podcast. I love it. I can't wait to see all the amazing things that you continue to put out in the world. Yeah. You're, you're the bomb. How can people find you? Um, they can find me one of two ways. I'm on LinkedIn, Chris Racinos, R-E-C-I-N-O-S. And Chris is spelled C-H-R-I-S. Um, I think I'm the only Chris Racinos right now. And um, they can check out my website, www.nurseleadernetwork.com or my podcast, The Nurse Leader Network. Yay. I love that. What a great resource you are for, I mean, yeah. any any nurse, old or young, or young or old or in the middle, I mean, who wants to like, <gasps> and then they can go to your website and find you. You, could, you do one-to-one coaching with people who are just even thinking about making a change or what does this mean? Like, is that, it's, mo- it's more the membership. So most of the one-to-one coaching happens in the membership because I have office hours. So I'll do office hours and then you can like pop in and we, we like I'll coach on whatever it is that you're working on. But it's usually for me, it's more, I don't want to be like the eye in the sky. Like I don't want to be the person that you have to come to. So I'm really building communities inside of the nurse theater network where you have mm-hmm. a community of people that you create masterminds with, you can create this, you know, so you can call up and say, Hey, I'm opening up this new whatever. Do you have a template? Or hey, I have so you know the nursing network is is it it has a ton of info and um a ton of support because you should not be on your journey alone. I I love that. And you and you just you don't and like you said, I don't want to trade my time for money. And so you created a whole network of people so it doesn't need you as the eye in the sky. Yeah. And but like I said, I'm still there. I I get to meet with all my people. It's really cool to see how they're progressing. Um, I am there, but most of the one-to-one is really through our like group coaching or like group more uh, office hours that we have. Yeah. And it, well, as you, as you um, do it because you want to, because it is your, your passion and your purpose and meaning yeah. and not because you need to, because you're, you know, getting a paycheck and uh, not past beautiful. four o'clock. Yeah. Right? Not you past know? 4 PM. Right. So <laughs> that's important too. Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> You guys, that's a wrap. What a great podcast. If you're a nurse, head over to www.rnegade.pro. 
follow the prompts, do the activity, fill out the evaluation for the podcast that you just listened to and get a CE. Could we just make CE by podcast the norm? Please. Bye.